back a bit. Uh, but I really enjoy this verse because um, the first time I started memorizing scripture, I was in college. And I took some Bible classes. And the professor made us, through part of the course, memorize scripture. And I can remember actually being angry with him, thinking, we've got to read all this stuff, we've got to do all this work, and you're making me memorize the Bible. Then I thought, what am I saying? Why am I upset with that? And the great thing about it is that um, I can still remember some of the verses that he made us uh, memorize um, during that time, several years ago. Uh, so the challenge at the beginning, I guess, is read the Bible for sure, but also memorize it. And here's a good one for you to start. One of the first ones I memorized, Psalm 119, verse 11. Does anyone know that one? No, oh, you heathens. <laughs> Psalm 119, 11. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Great place to start. So memorize the Bible. But anyway, what, uh, the, this verse, uh, chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, is one of the verses that um, I first remem- memorized. Um, and if we just read a couple of the bits in verse 4 and verse, I think it's 6, Paul is writing and he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And then in verse 6, he says, be anxious for nothing. In other words, don't worry about anything. And I've got to be honest, when I read that, I think, is that actually possible to do? I mean, I mean, to never worry about anything and to be joyful always. I mean, it's kind of like one of those things you hear in Sunday school, and you know, the answer is always Jesus, the Bible, God, something like that. Is that really possible, Paul, for me to do that? Okay? So I kind of started thinking. I'm like, well, what kind, of a, what kind of a guy is this, right? I mean, he must have had the easiest life in the world if he can actually say to us, don't worry about anything and be joyful about everything. Well, if we take a look uh, at the book of 2 Corinthians, I just wanted to read you a couple of bits about Paul's, um, Paul's CV in his own words. Okay, so this is kind of the experiences in Paul's own words that he's had. I'm just going to pull out a couple of quick words and just kind of say them. Um, he describes his life as being full of afflictions, hardships, sleeplessness, hunger, imprisonment, slandered, sorrowful, crushed, perplexed beaten times without number, five times with 39 lashes, three times with rods, one time he's been stoned, he's been shipwrecked and spent a day and a night in the open sea. He's had dangers from rivers, robbers, danger in the country, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness. He's been cold, exposed to the elements. And listen to this last one, it's amazing. Um, He says that he has been constantly being delivered over to death. If you read that, and then you hear verses 6 and verses 4, and he says, Be joyful always, and always give thanks, and don't worry about anything. You think, I, well, I thought two things. Number one, this guy is <laughs> he's a few fries short of a Happy Meal, or he knows something that I want to know, right? I mean, even he's totally crazy, all right, or this God that we worship. Okay, so... Um so, so basically, two kind of thoughts. With this kind of a, of a CV, right, um, either, this, either this guy Paul is crazy or he knows something that I want to know. Okay, in other words, he, he, he is in so involved with this God that we worshiped that all of those things that happened to him in his physical life uh, had no real consequences to him. Um, and so what I want to kind of do is go back a little bit, a few verses, and kind of take a look at some of the things that he's writing to these Philippians before he gets to those verses to kind of see if we can pick apart his mindset. In other words, what is he thinking about? What is he trying to pass on to the Philippians and then in turn to us so that we can understand how he could get to the point to say, be joyful always and don't worry about anything. 
Okay, so let's go back. I think this is going to be chapter 3, and I apologize if some of this has been said in, in, in last week. But we're going to start in chapter 3, verse 17, and we're just going to kind of work our way through. And there's going to be kind of four points that we can kind of hang our thoughts on. Uh, number one, Paul is going to kind of um, call uh, the Philippians to be discerning. Secondly, he's going to call them to um, fix their minds on heavenly things, not on earthly things. Thirdly, he's going to really, really push for them to eagerly wait for a savior, which we'll explain just in a little bit. Um, and lastly, he's going to tell us what he puts his joy in. Okay. So if we take a look at uh, chapter three, uh, verse 17, he says, brothers join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. I remember this first one was be, be discerning. Verse 18, for many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. So what he's saying is, okay, Philippians, you've seen me live. You've, you've heard what I believe. You've heard me teach you, okay? That's a pattern that you need to walk after. That's a pattern that you need to follow. You need to think like I think. You need to believe what I believe. You need to live like I lived. There are some other people, and in the language, if you kind of read it down, the original language, you come to the understanding that the people he's talking about that are enemies of the cross of Christ are actually people that are in the church, okay? So they're kind of, you think of them as like false teachers. And what he means when he says enemies of the cross of Christ, and this is kind of the, the big point in the first part of it here, and he deals a lot about this, is that he is basically preaching the gospel that you are saved through grace alone, by faith alone, in the work that Jesus has done on the cross alone. And basically what those false teachers are doing and coming in, and as usual, they're adding something to that. So they might be adding works to that. Or they might be saying, you know what, I'm freeing Christ to live the way that I want to live, and I can do whatever I want to do. Okay, and he says in them, pretty strong rebuke, number one in verse 19, um, their end is destruction, okay? They're, they're not going to end up in a good place, all right? Their end is destruction. Secondly, he says, whose God is their appetite and glory is their shame. It's a really interesting way of putting it. Their God is their appetite, okay? He's saying, you know, they don't worship the one true God. They don't love him. They don't serve him. Basically, they, they live to serve their own appetites and their own desires, Okay? And they even glory in those things, or they even boast in those things. And Paul says, look, that, the, the, the fact that they are boasting in those things, and it might even be religious accomplishments, the fact that they are boasting of those things is ultimately to their shame. Okay? And the reason why that's ultimately to their shame is because the ultimate insult, all right, if you read through the scripture, Jesus is very humble, he's very forgiving to just about everyone except for one kind of group of people, and that's going to be the Pharisees because they kind of thought they had it together and they could earn God's favor through what they did, okay? And the reason why that's so, that's so shameful and actually so insulting to God is because God understands what it took to save us, right? He understands that. He knew it just doesn't take us working hard. Okay? He knew it took him giving up his son to come down here to suffer and to die for us. That's a huge thing. And for someone to look back at him and say, no, thanks, God, I got it. I think I can work my way to you uh, is kind of the ultimate, the ultimate insult to him. So he says, uh, back, once again, back in verse 19, appetite, uh, whose glory is in their shame, whose, whose mind is set on earthly things. And if you take a step back and look at a lot of religions, this is kind of the dividing line between religion and a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, okay? Basically, religion is here's 10 things and you got to do them. And if you do them well enough, maybe you can please God good enough and he'll let you into heaven. And I was talking to a guy a couple days ago, I think it was after Thanksgiving, and I just, you know, we started a conversation, didn't know that well. Um, 
his wife and my wife are, are more of the friends. And I just said, tell me about what, what do you think about church? What do, you, what do you think about it? And he just began to open his life and saying, you know, I grew up in a church. And um, he said, you know, but I didn't enjoy it. You know, no one would smile. No one was friendly. Um, all they wanted us to do was to come every week, was to, do, to tithe. Um, there was no joy. And he said, um, if we didn't do the certain things, that made us feel guilty. You know, the conversation went on. It kind of came back about half hour later. And I just looked at him and said, you know what? I just want you to know that God is not like that. Okay, that's not how he is. Okay? And so what Paul is trying to get them to do is to be discerning about the people uh, that they are listening to and what they're doing. And the last thing that he says is really interesting. Uh, He says, their minds are set on earthly things. Okay? In other words, they're not really concerned with heavenly things. They're concerned with the physical things here on earth. And then in verse 20, and this is kind of the second point, he's saying our citizenship uh, is in heaven. Okay, our citizenship is in heaven. So he's kind of making a turning point now from verse 19 to 20, and he's getting into focusing on the second thing. Uh, And the reason why he's talking about citizenship is kind of interesting, because if if you think about it, citizenship uh, is really kind of important. There are a lot of benefits to citizenship. So, uh, for example, uh, my wife and I fly home to the States quite a lot, and whenever we come back, we have our passport. You get to Heathrow Airport, and there are two lines. There's the, you know, EU passports, UK passports, and then there's the other passport line. Well, if you go down the EU passport, passport line, it's much faster. If you go down the other passport line, they ask you, you know, when did you leave? Why are you here? How long have you here? You know, what's the name of your mother's dog? All these crazy things that they ask you, okay? Because it's a benefit if you have an EU passport, it allows you access into, into, uh, into the UK much more easily. Well, in the same way, those Philippians were proud about being citizens, okay? Um, and just kind of a bit of the history about that. It was a Roman colony, and a battle had taken place in Philippi that actually was the end of, of the Roman Republic, and it began the, the beginning of the Roman Empire. And so because that battle took place there, they became a Roman colony. Uh, many of the soldiers retired there, uh, and they got the benefit of a lot of things like Roman law. And, you know, the world at that time was in many, in many ways very lawless, and, and Rome would come in, and sometimes it was brutal, but they at least caused some kind of stability and order. Uh, they enjoyed the benefit of lower taxes. And once again, they were very proud about being Roman citizens. And Paul just, just tries to get them to switch that focus uh, from being proud about their being citizens of Rome and focusing on the earthly things. And he says, no, actually... Um, our citizenship uh, is not on this earth. Our citizenship is in heaven. If you read uh, Jesus's words uh, in John 14, he says, you know, I go to prepare a place for you. Um, and it, it, my father's house are in many rooms. So I'm, I'm going to prepare that place. And when I get finished, I will come back and I will take you there um, to where I'm going to be. Uh, in other places, you can read about history where Roman citizens had their names listed down. Because um, if you were a citizen of Rome, that was an important thing. And you would have your name on a register. And in the same way, you can read uh, in the Gospel of Luke when Jesus sends out the 70. Uh, and they go and do all these amazing things. And they come back and say, Jesus, this is amazing. You know, we, we even told demons, we cast them out, and they obeyed us. And Jesus says, you know, don't rejoice that the demons obey you, but rejoice that you, your names are actually written down in the book of life and that you are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Rejoice in that. And it's even amazing, I was doing some more, just kind of looking through that in the scripture. And in Isaiah, I think it's chapter 49, it says um, that, that God has us inscribed our names on the palm of his hand, which is a really interesting thought if you think about it. Uh, if you had a tattoo on your hand, um, 
How many times would you see it throughout the day, right? How many times would you think about it throughout the day? I mean, you couldn't get away from it. And in the same way, um, God thinks about his children so often. It's just like he's written our names on his hand. So once again, he's trying, he's trying to get the Philippians to kind of turn their minds from earthly things on uh, to heavenly things. Okay. Uh, thirdly, uh, Paul kind of urges them in verse 20 uh, to eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so verse 20 says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has, even to subject all things to himself. Okay? So what he's trying to get the Philippians to do is to take a look and think, you know, um, while we are waiting, okay, while we are waiting on this earth, please know that there is an end in sight. Okay? Because sometimes it doesn't seem like there is. But just like if you've ever ran a race or you've been through kind of a hard time in your life, it's often helpful to know that there is an end in sight. And Paul tells the Philippians that, look, this is the end, that the Savior that we are waiting for, Jesus, he is going to come back for us. And in verse 20, 21, it's a really interesting thing that he says. He says, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory? So you kind of think, well, what, what is Paul talking about? He's saying we have a humble body and then it's going to be transformed uh, into the body of his glory. And we're all familiar kind of with our humble bodies, right? Uh, they get fat, they get sick, they get tired, they grow old. But the great thing about the body of his glory or the new body, if you think about it, none of that stuff applies. Okay, so like, for example, if you take a look in the Gospel of Luke again, I think it's the Gospel of Luke. Um, after the resurrection, there's one passage where the disciples are kind of in a room and they're kind of just sitting around worried about what's going to happen next. And it says that Jesus just kind of appeared in the room, right? The door wasn't open. Um, the windows weren't open. He was just kind of appeared in the roof. And you might think, well, he's kind of like a spirit, right? And then it says, and this is so interesting, he sat down and he ate some fish, which I think is really cool. And so that gives us kind of an, in, an insight in kind of to the new bodies that Jesus had. And just like Jesus had that, that's in the same way what we are going to have. So what Paul is saying is um, through all these hardships that he's went through, these things that have happened to his physical body, he knows that there is an end in sight. And all the things that happened to him in the physical world, um, they're going to pass away. Because the new body that he's going to have is going to be glorious like Christ, and all of those things won't matter to him. Next bit I want you guys to see, starting in chapter 4, is where Paul's joy was. It says in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord's. So I'll read that first bit again. It says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown. And if you take a look at this, what Paul is saying is, okay, he's talking to the Philippians and he's saying, look, you guys are my absolute joy. You guys are my crown. Okay? In other words, what, what Paul took to be the joy in his life was not all of his circumstances. It was the fact that he had taken his time, he had poured out his life to start this church in Philippi, to teach these people about the gospel and about Jesus, and to watch them grow. That was his joy. It wasn't the things that were going on around him. 
Okay, so he gives us a little window into what actually his joy is. Okay, so when you think about kind of those four points, he says to you, look, be discerning. He says, be discerning. He says, realize uh, that if your minds are set on earthly things, you're going to have a hard time being joyful. You're going to have a hard time giving thanks in all circumstances. He says, eagerly await for a Savior who's going to come back. And when he does, okay, all of those things that were a problem won't be anymore. And lastly, he says, uh, look, I pour my life out, okay, for the kingdom. I don't pour it out for the earthly things. That is my joy to pour my life out for the people um, that I'm ministering to. And, and just, I mean, just to share personally, um, the relationships that I've developed with people uh, just in this church and in other places where we have a chance to meet together and pray with one another and hold each other accountable um, is just some of the best things that happen uh, in my life, despite all the crazy things that goes on. And so if we kind of keep those four things in mind and we return back again to verse four when it says, uh, rejoice in the Lord always, again I say rejoice. Verse five says, let your gentle spirit be known to all men for the Lord is near. It says, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And, and, and honestly, this is much easier to preach than it is to live. It's hard to do that. And, and uh, my, my wife and I, the last nine months, really just thinking about this passage, we have had absolute crazy time. Since March, we have had our second child. We've almost been kicked out of the country because we didn't have the right visa and had to reapply for that and get permanent residency. I've changed jobs, uh, and we have moved house all in about a six-month period. We moved in three weeks ago after a really long process, and we drove the car out of our driveway. And we went about 10 meters down the road and the car broke down. And after this nine month ordeal, I literally was walking back with my hands out, looking up at the sky and out loud, just said, God, if, if I'm doing something wrong, please let me know because I'm listening now to you. I'm listening now. Uh, it is very hard to live this. And I just felt him say to me, no, Josh, I just, want, I just want you to trust me. I just want you to, in this midst, I just want you to trust me. So I'll just read those again, uh, verse 6. Be anxious or don't worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. In other words, you may not understand why you have peace, but the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So uh, for the last bit, kind of, kind of come into landing, we'll just kind of talk about, um, so what are the things, what are some like practical things to do to think about? If we go back to the bit saying, you know, don't set your mind on earthly things, set them on things above, set them on, on, on heavenly things. Uh, verse eight kind of goes through a list uh, of things to think about. So verse eight says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. And then he says, the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. So at the beginning, he's talking about, look, Philippians, look, look at the pattern of my life. Look at me. And he comes back to that in verse nine. He says, look, the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And so the question kind of to you is, um, 2,000 years later, 
uh, have we heard or received or learned anything from Paul? Quite a bit. Quite a bit, yeah. It's all recorded here. In the second part of verse 9, it just simply says this. Practice these things. In other words, what you've learned, what you've received, what you've read in the scripture by Paul and other people, practice these things. And if you practice these things, the God of peace will be with you. Okay, what I guess kind of now is transition to the next bit. So uh, what I'll do is I'll just kind of get you guys just to kind of close your eyes and I'll just pray over us kind of back through some of these points and just ask kind of the, the Holy Spirit to kind of just speak to you from, from the passage um, and then we'll continue on with a bit of the service so we can just close our eyes. Father, we want to say that, that we love you and we thank you for Jesus and his work on the cross that purchased salvation for us. We thank you for the spirit, Jesus, that you left here with us to guide us. And God, we thank you for your word. And I just pray that, um, that by your spirit, you just take the word uh, into hearts and just speak to us what, what we need to hear. God, I just pray um, in Jesus' name that we become more discerning. God, I pray that we uh, set our minds and our hearts on things above, that we don't set them on earthly things. And God, I just pray that we, uh, that we anxiously, Father, await you, Jesus, as a Savior, knowing that you're going to come back and get us. And God, that knowing that when that happens, uh, whatever is going on in this life will be over. I just pray we focus on that, God. And, and I just pray, lastly, that uh, we would take great joy in just pouring our lives out for the kingdom. I love you so much, Father. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.